Welcome to Rose Tinted, a podcast where we challenge the limits of our nostalgia by re-examining some of our favourite childhood movies. I'm Ollie Chip. And I'm Paddy HK. And today we will be discussing Dog Soldiers. Okay. <laughs> yes, hello and welcome to Rose Tinted. Before we get started, as always, I just want to give the uninitiated some background info about this podcast. So Ollie and I are old friends who decided to make a list of our favourite childhood movies so we can revisit them one by one to see if they still hold up to scrutiny. Some loose rules for our selection process, the movies have to bear some kind of significance to our childhood or early adolescence, and we try to only select movies that we have not watched since that time. So with that out of the way, Ollie, why don't you tell us a little bit about Dog Soldiers? Yeah, so Dog Soldiers, uh, released in 2002. At the time when I watched it when I was younger, I thought it was a horror movie, not so sure now. Um, But it's written and directed by Neil Marshall, who is the wackiest looking bloke you'll ever see. Have you seen a picture of him? No. He looks incredible. He looks like like your strange uncle who has his garage dedicated to like a train set. Y- your strange uncle who looks like he's dedicated his life to a train set and who hates women. But- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, there's some evidence that points to that here, I suppose. Um, but he's a- an interesting fellow. He's directed some movies that I didn't realise this the same guy, but he's directed The Descent. And mm. Doomsday, which are like shit horror movies, really. Um, but he also directed Hellboy, which I didn't realise. Ah, but see, you say Descent and Doomsday are shit horror movies. I actually really like The Descent. I think it's a great movie. Oh, really? I mean, that might be another one for the list because I've not watched it since I was a teenager. But yeah, I generally have bad memories of that. So yeah, I just remember it being super claustrophobic in like a very deliberate way, which I thought yeah. was well handled. But anyway, besides the point. So he's he's a bit of a household name, is what you say. Yeah. Yeah, which I I didn't... Like, if you said, oh, yeah, director Neil Marshall, Mm. before today, I wouldn't have been able to tell you who he is or what he's directed. He's also directed a few um, Game of Thrones episodes, which makes me think that maybe Liam Cunningham, Mm. um, who's in Dog Soldiers, had a had a little word with the Game of Thrones producers and was like, oh, I know a guy. I know a guy that could do something with this. Um, So, written and directed by Neil Marshall. Um, It stars no one, really. Um... Liam Cunningham, like I've just mentioned, Davos Seaworth from Game of Thrones, Sean Pertwee, who's the sergeant, Kevin McKidd, Private Cooper, I mean, anonymous people, really. Weirdly, though, looking them up, they're all really prominent video game voice actors. Oh, really? Which is interesting, yeah. And what was really quite weird was Sean Pertwee, who plays Sergeant Wells in this movie, has a very distinctive sort of, like, southern accent, doesn't he? Mm, Yeah. I was like, I recognise him from somewhere, I recognise him. But then I realised that actually all I recognised was his voice. Because when I was a kid, I used to play a game on the PlayStation called um, Killzone, and Mm. he voices one of the protagonists in that video game. So I must have just had this weird little sort of subconscious moment where I'm recognising the guy's voice because of that game that I played when I was a kid so that was quite interesting yeah but yeah so it stars pretty much no one Um, it cost pretty much nothing and made pretty much nothing Um, so not really much to say in terms of in terms of those but another interesting thing about it was that it was filmed weirdly because it it looks very much like the Scottish Highlands which is Mm. where the film is set but it was filmed in Luxembourg right I was actually wondering that because one of the points that I made about what I loved about the movie was the location settings yeah the wildlife shots are absolutely gorgeous and I did actually have a moment where I was like is this Scotland because (laughs) it looks a little bit glorious to be Scotland be careful dude you're gonna alienate some people were saying that man scotland is a beautiful country don't get me wrong full of beautiful people of course who deep fry beautiful foods <laughs> but like i did think when i when i was watching the movie i was like this looks a bit grander than i would expect the highlands mm. to look and so i love the thought 
that this director basically shot on location in Luxembourg and to make it feel Scottish, just plonked a couple of Highland cows into the mountains, <laughs> which yeah. is amazing. But yeah, I, th- I think the reason it was filmed in Luxembourg was for tax reasons mainly. I think they went through a few locations to try and get the best. I think the Isle of Man was one of the options, but it all fell through. Um, in terms of synopsis, do you want to hear my two synopsis? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this is the sort of uh, my version of the back of the box type plot synopsis. Private Cooper, a failed special forces recruit, finds himself on a training mission with an army squad deep in the Scottish Highlands. Slowly, through a series of terrifying and grisly encounters, the squad learn that they are being hunted by a savage pack of lichen... Lichen... Fuck! (laughs) Werewolves. With the help of local zoologist Megan and a cryptic special forces agent, Captain Ryan, the group of soldiers must work together to survive in a farmhouse until dawn. But bloodshed and treachery are always around every corner. Oh, that's, a, that's actually a really great, genuine back-of-the-box synopsis, especially <laughs> that last line. If I picked that up in Blockbuster, just <laughs> looking for some trash to rent, I would absolutely buy that as a synopsis. Good stuff. I need, I need, to, uh, I need to look at a career change. Um, my one-line synopsis, uh, hangry dogs eat gun-wielding football fans for 90 minutes. Oh, yeah, and the movie is 90 minutes as well, which is so perfect, considering the amount of football references throughout the movie. Oh, they cram them well in there, don't they? Oh, it's just a bunch of lads, isn't it? Yeah. Just a bunch of lads. Blokes being blokes. Oh, just blokes being blokes. Lads, lads, banter, banter, footy, footy. <laughs> women, spider women. <laughs> <laughs> That makes no sense until we start talking about that either. Yeah, which yeah. Which is great. Um, so yeah, why, Paddy, did this film get on the list for you? So this one, obviously, uh, so it came out when I was 11, but it's definitely more from my teen years than my childhood. So I watched this when I was around 13, 14, okay. sort of that kind of age, and I absolutely loved it. Many repeat viewings, and I was a big fan of fantasy stuff, so things like Buffy, things like Harry Potter. So werewolves were right in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. So I think it just sort of spoke to that side of my brain. And I've also grown into being a bit of a fan of culty slightly camp and trashy horror movies so i think this movie was the jumping off point for that it was responsible for my interest in Mm -hmm. other franchises like evil dead and nightmare on elm street and the thing yeah i mean it's full of evil dead references isn't it this movie as well yeah one of the characters is literally called bruce campbell which is amazing i didn't realize because they only name him as bruce in the film but in the cast he's called bruce campbell well it makes sense because neil neil marshall i i didn't say this earlier but i have a one of my teaching dvds we used to do the video nasties in media studies quite a few years ago now and there's a documentary series about the video nasties and neil marshall stars prominently as a as a talking head in that documentary yeah and he's banging on about all of these trashy 80s movies so it sort of makes sense that well he seems to be a horror connoisseur doesn't he a little mm. bit um and yeah it sort of makes sense that it's full of these references i also noticed there was an apocalypse now reference i don't know if you got that one as well um no so they get airlifted in, don't they, by helicopter, These this squad. And one of them sits on the helicopter and starts going, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going. Which is a clear Apocalypse Now reference as well, which I thought was hilariously out of place, considering what this movie is. Yeah, it is a bit of a love letter. And you can feel the love coming through, which I like. Yeah. In terms of what I remembered about the movie, I remembered Bruce, Bruce Campbell, running through the woods and getting impaled on a branch, which is probably the most ludicrous death in the movie. I like the fact they're up against fucking a group of werewolves and he dies first by being <laughs> impaled on a tree. Literally just through the force of his own running. He just yeah. runs onto a branch. So I remembered that. I remembered the surprise cow jump scare. Okay. Um, so at one point in the movie, the soldiers are all sitting around and then a cow just sort of comes down from the sky and scares them. <laughs> well, well, it doesn't come down from the sky. It falls <laughs> off a cliff, doesn't yeah, it? Okay. Above them. Yes, that is very true. But yeah, so uh, the cow jump scare, I remembered that. Weirdly enough, I don't know why this always stuck in my head but i remembered the sergeant and cooper comparing turning into a werewolf to taking a shit like for some reason that always stuck in my head when does that i don't even when does that happen it happens sort of um towards the end of the movie and the sergeant's worried about turning into a werewolf and he goes oh maybe it's just like taking a piss and you know when you gotta go you just gotta go oh yeah and then uh, cooper's like no maybe it's just like taking a shit just because you need a shit doesn't mean you just take your trousers down and pinch one off you can fight this you can control this you 
you know? Which is bad advice, really. Like, if you need a shit, like, go. Yes, it's bad advice, but it stuck in my head for some reason. That line always stuck with me, and it's it's I, made me feel strangely emboldened if I ever found myself really needing a shit and unable <laughs> to go. I was just like, this is exactly like turning into a werewolf. I can't just, I can't just do it. Well, one of my memories, you mentioned a shit reference there. Yeah. One of the memories that I had is that immortal line that one of the soldiers says near the end where he's about to be eaten by the yeah. werewolf and he says I hope I give you the shits I actually use that line in common parlance with my friends nowadays like yeah. it stuck with me this whole time it's weird isn't it how things can just stick like that yeah it's crazy and it's a great line and it's very well executed yeah like I was waiting the whole movie for it to be said um but yeah I didn't I didn't really remember too much about the narrative, I think, you know, the narrative is secondary to most of the other things that happen. Yeah. Um, but I remember um, I remember the head being torn off that dude and being thrown at someone in a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, obviously, I hope I give you the shits moment. And like you rightly said there, the, um, the impaling on the tree. Yeah. Uh, I remember that as well. I actually had a couple more which were burned into my mind. And I actually went into this movie with these scenes in my mind. I remembered the twist. Uh, There's a twist with Megan, who is the zoologist and werewolf expert. Megan turns out to be a werewolf. And I remember that twist not really making sense at the time and being a bit confused by it. So I went into the movie curious to see if it was clearer. Now, spoilers, it absolutely isn't. (laughs) I know, yeah. It makes absolutely no sense. But, um, the final thing I remembered from this movie was the very final shot which is the headline England 5, Germany 1 it shows the miniature headline, werewolves ate my platoon with a picture of Private Cooper and then it zooms out to England 5, Germany 1 and that <laughs> triggered a lot of primary school trauma for me because <laughs> being being the half the half German gentleman that I am, yeah, of course. whenever England and Germany played each other it was always a difficult time for me because A, I never knew who to support, but B, I just used to get shit for it constantly. And when, trust me, man, I was in year six when that game happened. When England beat Germany 5-1, I did not hear the end of it. When England beat Germany, Paddy got beaten up. Oh yeah, I got viciously bullied for that score. And like, you know how on the last day of school, the last day of primary school, people sign each other's shirts and stuff. Yeah. Like, people were just writing 5-1 on my shirt so yeah the most horrifying scene in the entire movie for me was the 5-1 headline that came at the end (laughs) that's great but yeah I mean other than that I uh, didn't really remember much I just remembered really enjoying it I really liked the movie when I was younger. But what about you, Ollie? Why did this make the list for you? Yeah, see, I mean, like, in terms of it making the list for me, this was really the first, inverted commas, horror movie I ever watched. And mm. I remember it vividly because I invited a couple of my friends. Around. It was my birthday. I think it was my 12th birthday. And yeah. I ordered it in. I don't know why, because... At 12 years old, I was petrified of horror movies. And I remember watching it with my two friends and um, being absolutely terrified by it from start to finish and haven't watched it since, probably because of that. Um, I mean, nowadays, I make a point of watching as many horror movies as I can. I I absolutely love the genre now. But this was the first time I had really watched a horror movie and I was deeply disturbed by it, which um, which was interesting. Seeing as we're kind of getting into the conversation already, why don't we talk about the things that we enjoyed about this movie? Okay. What did you enjoy about this movie? Well, I think first and foremost, and, you know, it's the sort of go-to every time for these films, but I thought the prosthetic werewolves were absolutely (laughs) awesome. Like, they clearly put a lot of time and effort into the design on the horrible creatures, and they look brilliant. It's a real shame, and I'm going to talk about this when we look at the stuff that isn't so good. It's a real shame they don't use Mm. more of them. But my thoughts behind that probably is that they don't move very well. Yeah. Um, those prosthetic costumes that they're wearing. So you get quite a few wide shots of them just sort of standing menacingly. You never see them really move, do you, in any detail? Um, but I thought that, you know, when you see them in all their glory, they're absolutely awesome. Yeah, I agree that in the wide shots, they do look really impressive. But I think they lost me whenever there was like a close up and you could really tell they looked like Halloween costumes, you know? I thought the bodies of them were really interesting and like the long limbs and they looked really imposing. Yeah. But anytime there was a close up of the 
head, I, I was just like, oh, yeah, this isn't as convincing. But I didn't really mind it. You know what I mean? I thought it was charming. Yeah, like you're sort of on board with the schlocky, low budget horror elements, yeah. to be honest, from the start. And that's another thing that's good about this movie is like it gets you on board with that mentality really quickly um, and convincingly. So, like, you're on board from the start, which I think is really important. Like how Evil Dead does, really. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned earlier, there are a lot of similarities to Evil Dead throughout the movie. Mm. Uh, Particularly the the cameras and the way they move. So, before the werewolves are properly revealed, they're only shown through their own point of view, and it's just these cameras rushing through the woods. It's very Evil Dead, actually. It knows exactly what it is, and it's signalling to the audience exactly what it is from a very early point yeah i mean other things you've already mentioned it but i thought the woodland that they'd shot they picked the locations in the woods well they were Mm. nice looking there's some nice sort of like natural architecture that i Mm -hmm. quite enjoyed you can always fall into the trap if you're recording a horror film in the woods that they all just end up looking the same and terrible but they've done a they did a good job of scouting the right natural locations for some of their scenes yeah and it really adds to the idea because they do these big broad sweeping shots of the natural landscapes it really adds to this this sense of isolation because you think to yourself again when you watch the movie you think well they're in scotland how lost can they be but (laughs) it really does convince you that they are in the middle of nowhere and that they are beyond help uh through a lot of these shots so yeah um i thought they used that really effectively as well and then finally for me like maybe controversially i mean i started the movie being irritated by every character Mm. but actually i ended up quite liking a lot of them by the end and in particular i quite liked the sergeant you know the proper gritty londoner yeah i was on board with his plight and you know when he tells the story about his mate that gets blown up by mine or something you know there was some attempts at character development and i thought that the sergeant was probably the one that i was most affectionate towards yeah i thought he was very impressive actually the guy that played him and that actually uh segues quite nicely into one of the things that i had on my list which was i generally thought the performances were quite good especially of the obviously they're you fucking kidding me no 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 just let me explain there was obviously the disposable cannon fodder characters who were kind of hit and miss but i thought the three main performances that grabbed me were i liked davos's performance i thought he was very immediately intense and dislikable and the antagonism between him and cooper feels very genuine and he's like a super posh guy as well and they're all sort of very working class and he he doesn't like football because he's a gentleman yeah no he doesn't like football because he's a snob like (laughs) exactly um, yeah that bit where he's just like they think it's all over and all that no i don't like football (laughs) i mean who who understands football by that definition oh the old they think it's all over sport like who the fuck says that well it's a it's a famous commentary reference isn't it no i know the i know the reference but what i'm saying is who do you know that defines football by that specific line of commentary and not just they know what football is (laughs) because it's so like prolific everywhere in all of our culture are you referring to the sport when that one guy said they think it's all over yeah that's what i mean it's not it's not like do you mean the one where they kick the ball in the goal it's you know that sport where that one man said at one point they think it's all over is it that one yeah well i mean that line was sort of ubiquitous with almost football culture and british culture for a time though wasn't it well particularly at this time yeah exactly but um yeah so i thought davos's performance was really good i'm just going to call him davos sergeant wells as you said yeah he's great it's a great performance and he can effortlessly switch from humorous to serious at the drop of a hat and it all feels convincing so you mentioned the story he tells of his friend being blown up and he's telling this story and it's quite a surreal scary and humorous story but it's all delivered like he goes dead behind the eyes as he's telling yeah. it and it's such a great touch he's the most believable soldier isn't he yeah, really definitely and it's all delivered with this like deadpan expression of someone who's experienced like genuine trauma mm. and i also thought the actor who played cooper was very good he's also um i actually recognized him he also plays tommy in train spotting he's the straight edge guy in train spotting who ends up becoming a junkie and has like a really tragic character arc um but i thought he was also um really decent everyone else you know shocking well i thought spoon i thought spoon was all right oh man like let's not get into this right now because we've got a whole section dedicated to this okay cool i'll let you tear into the performances uh when we get there (laughs) but i thought for the most part they were serviceable and there were some bright spots with the actors that i've mentioned um Yeah. yeah i've got quite a few things on the list of stuff that i liked i like how grounded in reality the movie felt despite its fantasy themes so i have zero knowledge of military maneuvers or strategies but the way they you surprise me when you say 
say that. Yeah. Being the gung-ho individual that I am. You're, you're like, you're pedigree army material, Paddy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I've got zero knowledge of military manoeuvres or strategies, but the way they're presented and executed feels very real and really convincing. Yeah. And I also liked how that grounded sense of reality was incorporated into the horror and the action of the movie. So I love when they end up in the cottage that belongs to the werewolf family and they're trying to... They're well, sort of, sorry, we should probably clarify just to interrupt you. They eventually hold up in a um, in a farmhouse in the middle of the woods. Mm. It's, it's very Goldilocks, isn't it? Like yeah. They, they walk into the house and all the dinner stuff is set on the table and the dinner's still cooking mm. and there's no one around. And I mean, you pretty quickly understand at that specific moment that the family themselves are the werewolves, but they the characters don't know that until the end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they're holed up in this house and they're slowly running out of ammunition and what they do is this depletion of ammo is continuously presented against like the time limit of the sunrise that they're all trying to survive until and i thought it was just such a nice little touch like it added a real element of survival horror to it it's sort of like resident evil or silent hill the games yeah counting the bullets yeah and as opposed to action movies where you've got endless ammo they were literally counting their bullets and as they were running out of ammo they had to be more resourceful with their choices of weaponry so they were using pans of boiling water deodorants with lighters yeah and it all adds to that sense of desperation and tension yeah and and the reason to clarify as well the reason that they're so conscious of ammo is because the werewolves are impervious to bullets so they don't die but what i quite liked about it was that they were using their guns almost like repellents mm. they would shoot them like a hundred times and then the, then the werewolves would have to back off and it would give them 15 minutes of downtime where they could strategize what they're going to do next yeah and i quite like that dynamic that they don't actually kill any werewolves till the very last Mm. second Um, and I quite like that as a dynamic they're not just sort of like action heroes that can just pump lead into everybody and are sort of impervious to any damage yeah yeah, they actually have to think about their use of ammunition in a different way and I quite like that although (laughs) I say that there is some interesting moments where Cooper is like three shot bursts lads three shot bursts and uh, all of his men adhere to that and they are giving off three shot bursts of, of gunfire when the werewolves attack. And then it cuts to, like, hard cuts to Cooper, and he runs into a room with an MP5 and shoots about 56 <laughs> rounds through a window in one go. And I'm like, oh, that's not really the best definition of leadership. But I thought that was sort of deliberate. It, again, shows that desperation. They're trying to stay organised, and they're trying to stay professional, but under the circumstances, they start to panic. Yeah, that's true. And I, I did think that, yeah, just the way that they used the military stuff to ground the movie was really effective. Um, I've just got a couple of more points on the things that I liked list. I thought the use of sound was quite interesting at points and specifically the lack of sound or the lack of music. Mm. And it was hit and miss. There was some bits where it was more effective than others, but there was just some cool little moments that I noticed that I really liked. So um, the first kill in the prologue to the movie, which is when the couple are in the tent and uh, one of them gets torn out by a werewolf. They're getting off with each other and they're about to start having sex and the guy is unzipping his girlfriend's uh, sleeping bag and then the zipping of the sleeping bag it sort of transitions to the sound of their tent being opened so you think it's the sound of him opening the sleeping bag and then it turns out it's the sound of the tent slowly being opened as the werewolves come to attack them that was just like a nice little detail yeah and 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 in that sequence as well what was interesting about it is that it wasn't filled with the classic horror trope of when something terrible is happening everyone is just screaming Mm. to the high heavens like the werewolf (laughs) i was gonna say the werewolf nicks his girlfriend the werewolf like pulls his girlfriend out of the tent and she's being literally eviscerated in front of him and neither of them are saying anything or making any noise it's actually really disturbing she starts to scream so when she's like grabbed she's grabbed and you're right they're both just quietly struggling and then something like snaps and she starts to scream but then he goes into shock doesn't he yeah yeah so i thought the fact that it's so quiet and there's no music either is really raw in a way and again the lack of music cues continues to be an interesting choice throughout the movie so when the sergeant is mortally wounded he's basically disemboweled isn't he but it's 
it happens in the blink of an eye. Yeah. He's tussling with a werewolf. He's not even tussling. He's sort of rolling around on the ground, shooting, trying to avoid this werewolf that's sort of out of shot. And then something happens. You don't quite see it, but there's a movement. And then suddenly he falls on the floor and his guts are spilling out and there's no music cues. There's no loud scream. There's no nothing. And it just makes, again, the violence feel a lot more grounded and uh, shows mm. how things can really drastically change uh, for the worse from one second to the next. It's very matter of fact in its violence and that's very similar I guess to war films yeah like war genre films it felt very much like that when the sergeant gets mauled yeah like it felt like when someone gets hit by a bullet or something in a war film that it's just sort of they just deal with it yeah and that's what they were doing and I, I, I quite like that as a dynamic yeah absolutely and this goes into my final thing that I really liked about the movie the violence is generally really effectively portrayed but it toes the line between being grounded and serious and then quite ridiculous and over the top at times <laughs> so some of the kills um the movie adds weight to them when it's necessary so the discovery of the special ops camp where they're literally walking in the entrails of these soldiers and the sergeant's disembowelment are these really serious moments of, of pretty heavy gore but then some of the kills are really fun and silly so bruce running into the tree is a good example and then yeah. spoon's final face off with the werewolf where he's literally <laughs> flinging saucepans at it and then that's when he <laughs> yeah. says i hope i give you the shits yeah so it toes the line and i think that that's something that the movie generally does really well and that's my final point of things that i really liked is i think there's a really effective balance of horror and gore and comedy and the movie is really quotable there's a lot of funny one-liners in the movie um that made me laugh i laughed quite a bit um but i think that's more or less it for me shall we move on to the things that we enjoyed a little bit less about the movie okay So, Ollie, I know that I went on a bit about the stuff that I liked about the movie, but this movie is not without its problems. <laughs> I wasn't completely in love with this movie. I did have issues with it. But I think you probably have a lot more to say about that than me. So <laughs> It's becoming a trend, this, isn't it? <laughs> well, there's been some exceptions. There's been some exceptions. <laughs> but why don't we just run through some of the things that you didn't enjoy about the movie? Um, okay, so the thing that really stood out to me, and I'll be interested to see if you noticed this as well. I'm sure you did. But... There was just some really odd choices in terms of colour grading. So without getting too technical about it, there was just some really obvious moments. And generally speaking, it's quite tricky to film at night. Mm. Like you have to be really careful with lighting and things. If you want to use darkness, it's actually really tricky to use, particularly natural darkness. Mm. Like it seems that they were using the night time to shoot. It wasn't artificially lit per se mm. but the color grading in this film was really odd like you'd have scenes where there would be four or five shots strung together which are meant to take place you know in terms of the film's narrative take place within about three seconds of each other and they were clearly all shot at different times of the day and even potentially on different cameras yeah so like the actual color grading of the shots themselves but also the image quality varied wildly yeah. at places yeah. it really jarred with the engagement for me like it, it didn't it sort of detached me a little bit from what was happening because it was very very obvious that there was some strange continuity errors in terms of the coloring and in terms of the tech they were using yeah i think the one scene maybe you'll agree with me on this but the one scene that really stood out for me in terms of that was when the soldiers first realized they're being attacked by werewolves and they're running through the woods and like you said there's a lot of really quick cuts and i think some of them in terms of the color grading and stuff are really deliberate in terms of showing things from the werewolves perspective which is often filmed in like black and white or night vision or whatever but there's a series of really quick cuts as they're running through the forest to megan's car where it does look like it's being filmed at totally different times of the day like yeah. and it is literally just like one cut after the next after the next and yeah you're right the grading is just not consistent at all between those cuts and there's an interesting you know when megan reveals herself to be a werewolf there's a close-up of her as she becomes a werewolf and she has like sharp teeth and canine eyes i guess you would say they look like cat's eyes actually but there's a close-up of her as she looks up at the camera and sort of like grimaces to the camera and it's 
really clearly like a low res sort of DV camera. Mm. It was very like, you know how 28 Days Later looks? Mm. Mm. It was just really jarring in places. And in terms of the werewolf vision that you just mentioned as well, like I thought it was actually incredibly lazy because you can do some interesting things in post-production, even in 2002, to make those point of view shots of the werewolves seem a little bit more authentic. Like think back to Predator, mate. Yeah, true. You know, Predator's point of view shots were distinctly different. Whereas all they've done really for werewolf vision in this movie is they've just lazily put the day to night setting on their camera and filmed it in the day. And there were some bits where they've done it like that, but then there were some bits where it was just this weird um, static. Like chrome. Yeah. Like monochrome. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's some strange choices with the werewolf vision. And I would actually argue they didn't need to change it to black and white or anything really they could have just done what they do in Evil Dead it's easily implied that we're seeing things from the werewolf's perspective just from the camera rushing through the woods you don't need to add anything else you know yeah exactly and although it's low budget and you've got to cut it some slack for that there was just some lazy choices in terms of the cinematography which I wasn't a massive fan of and just generally speaking like mise-en-scene wise I liked the farmhouse they were in but I could, I only got the impression that they were just like trashing a ready to be demolished house. Yeah. Like there wasn't really a massive attempt to make the place look lived in. Mm. It clearly just looks like an old farmhouse that no one uses. Mm. Or on the other side of it, they've just gone into someone's house and paid them to just smash the place up. I just think they were a bit lazy in that regard as well. They, there was no real attempt to make the set design a little bit more interesting. Yeah, yeah. How much more interesting would it be if like they went into that farmhouse and it was just like pristine and lovely and like really like welcoming and warming? It's like an Airbnb. Yeah. Like, they move in and it's just like really inviting and there's a list of rules on the wall or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be really cool, but they've clearly just gone, oh yeah, that's a dilapidated house that we can blow the shit out of. Yeah. Let's just use that. Yeah, that's fair, that's fair. Um in terms of other things, I'll let you talk about some of the misogyny in the in the dialogue, but generally speaking, I thought the act was fucking awful yeah. uh, and laughably so particularly Megan bless her she was bad wasn't she like she's trying but Jesus Christ she is bad in this but she's also not given anything coherent at all like no. her performance is not great but the movie absolutely does not give a shit about her character or <laughs> her character being consistent her motivations being consistent her dialogue being consistent there's just no consideration given to her character so yeah i agree i don't think her performance is great but i'll forgive it because she was she wasn't given much to work well, with well i forgive forgive her but not forgive it forgive the actress for doing the best with the with a bad script but the script itself does not allow for enthralling performances from its cast unfortunately um other than that i mean one one last thing in terms of the script before i I let you talk about one of the glaring problems with it but it's clearly from an adult perspective it's meant to be a darker sort of comic Mm. almost satire of the horror genre and for me like it just wasn't quite enough of that Mm -hmm. so i was still left at the end scratching my head thinking were they trying to make a really effective horror film here or were they trying to take the piss Mm. and it doesn't really go enough in either direction for me to get me on board with it as such it's not very consistent and i do agree that the horror isn't really there it's got a horror aesthetic and it's got some entertaining horror elements and horror homages, but it's not really a frightening movie. Yeah, well, I think the reason for that, and again, I might be relatively controversial in saying this, but you can't really get much legwork out of a cast of soldiers mm. in this context, um, particularly in like a modern warfare context. Yeah, Generally speaking, these are, even says it in the film, but they're professional soldiers. They're doing it as a career, whereas a lot of the soldier characters that we see in more hard-hitting war movies are either like conscripted mm. or feel socially obligated to be in the mm-hmm, conflict mm-hmm. so there's an element of tragedy to them whereas these guys they just feel like they're bored or they're sort of going through the motions and are not really bothered and I, and I think that's why the script can't really facilitate those types of characters very well yeah the one exception again I would say is the sergeant there was two moments where I got a sense of drama and a sense of emotional investment from that character. The first being the aforementioned story that he tells about his friend being blown up during the Gulf War, which I thought was executed really, really well. 
And I also love at the end of the movie where he accepts his fate and he convinces Cooper to leave him behind to die. And he says, you know, I'm a professional soldier. When I signed my life away on that dotted line, I meant it. Yeah. And it's trite, it's cliched, but the performance is convincing enough to give it a bit of gravitas. But I agree, he's the one exception. Yeah, you know, He is the single exception. The others are just basically lads out on manoeuvres. It's got a very much a Magaluf vibe to it, doesn't it? And like... <laughs> now, that, if that doesn't have sequel written all over it, I don't know what does. Don't tell me you wouldn't watch that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you just reminded me of, um, to, to your point about there not being any dramatic weight to the characters or their actions or their motivations. And there's this point after Joe, the football fan, dies... they're trying to make his death mean something and so and so cooper's like having a go at davos and basically saying to to add a bit of weight to his death he's like oh he missed the most important football game of his life to be here on maneuvers with the boys and now he's dead and it's just like that means nothing that means absolutely nothing to me no stakes whatsoever also side note he says the germany england game is the most important match of his life and i'm like like, I know. Is it, mate? Is it really? It's a <laughs> World Cup qualifier that England were pretty much already going to be qualified for, but, you know, whatever. That's a script written by a, a, a person who isn't a football fan. Yeah, yeah, it very much feels like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you there. It's hard to sympathise with these characters when you can't really relate to them on a human level. You can relate to soldiers in Vietnam movies or in World War II movies because, like you said, there's that sense of tragedy. Yeah. But I'm not a professional soldier. I'm not a lad on tour. <laughs> so I, I, can't, I can't relate to the characters in that sense. Like, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, with, with all that out of the way, um, do you want to talk about what you didn't like quite so much? Yeah. Um, so there was one main gripe that I had, which was to do with the character of Megan. But before I get onto that, because that's a bit of a chunky section. <laughs> <laughs> a chunky monkey. Yeah, that's a bit of a chunky monkey when it comes to the things I didn't enjoy about the movie. There was just a couple of other little things that stood out to me. In terms of how the werewolves were presented, not in terms of their aesthetic, but in terms of what they're capable of and how intelligent they are, the movie plays really fast and loose with the rules about werewolves. So (laughs) traditionally speaking, a person becomes a werewolf and they become this like primal force, this like embodiment of animalistic lack of inhibitions they just want to hunt and feed and that's what makes them supposedly scary is they're just the person's inner animal unleashed yeah basically but there's a couple of points where just in service of the plot the movie kind of just says oh yeah werewolves can do that and so there's a point where they cut the power to the house and <laughs> can you actually picture in your head a werewolf just <laughs> strolling up to a generator and switching it off and then there's a there's another point where i think it's it's joe or spoon one of them he's firing at the werewolf and you see from off screen his gun gets grabbed by the werewolf and then the werewolf shoots the gun yeah, he shoots back at him he shoots back at him and I literally wrote in my notes I was like they could fire guns like what is how intelligent are these werewolves and I think uh, and so I don't know it's just sort of like that took me out of it a little bit yeah I, I, I would agree and like one thing I was thinking about this was why don't they just storm the place like there's five or six werewolves outside yeah. just run in and maul them all because they can't kill you they have one small letter opener silver dagger and you're impervious to bullets so just run through stop running through the window getting shot and running away just run in and stay in and you'll kill them all yeah that's what i mean there's like an inconsistency to the logic of the werewolves isn't there because at one point coop says our one advantage is they don't know how much ammunition we've got what is being implied is that the wolves are so animalistic, you know, they're so primitive that they run at the house, they get hit by bullets and it hurts so they run away and it sort of deters them from wanting to get into the house as though they were dogs or actual wolves but then they sabotage their getaway vehicle, (laughs) they cut the power (laughs) and shoot back at them so it's just like, (laughs) what does the movie want us to think about these werewolves but yes, my main issue with the movie is with the character of Megan and how she is portrayed so just to recap megan is the zoologist who they encounter in the forest as they're running away from the werewolves she puts them into her jeep and she's like oh i know this family i know this house i'll take you there it's a safe place blah 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 but my main problem 
There's a few issues with this character. Firstly, her motivations and allegiances throughout the film are never clear, and they seem to shift depending on what the movie demands of her. So at best, her character is contradictory, and at worst, uh, she's a sexist caricature, which I'll get into as well. But basically, there's this big twist in the movie that involves her revealing that she's been a werewolf the whole time. Mm. The werewolves are the family who live in the house, and she not only knows them, she's a part of that family right yeah so none of that is really clear well like it's it's, it's interesting because you never get the sense that she is at odds with her werewolf family Hmm. so you would in a conventional narrative maybe have her not wanting to be a werewolf so she's trying to side with these soldiers Mm. in order to not be a werewolf anymore you know i don't want to be this horrible monster so i'm going to try and help the poor victims of my monster family but she never really approaches that with any conviction no but at the same time she's never really a proper villain either because she only reveals herself as a werewolf fleetingly at the end yeah i mean if she was on where on the werewolf side all along why didn't she just instantly become a werewolf and shred them all from the inside out when she had the chance to you know what i mean well i actually had to look this up because i looked it up on the um dog soldiers uh, wiki and basically what it says is on there just i think this is a good way for me to make sense of this so what the movie's trying to say is yeah basically you're right she's a part of this werewolf family but she doesn't want to be a part of it she wants to escape with the soldiers to get away from her family and then when she realizes that's not going to happen she switches allegiances and she's been suppressing her transformation the entire time well do you know what it was a, a really good way of escaping your werewolf family with a group of soldiers is to drive away from the house yeah. in which they live not lead them towards it and this <laughs> idea that she's suppressing her werewolf transformation that isn't even remotely alluded to in the movie like the sergeant when he's trying to suppress his transformation transformation he's practically having fits on the ground like it's like it doesn't make any sense so basically that's what the wiki says is um her character arc in the movie so at first it's implied that she might be a captive of the werewolves or is someone who is researching them and has gotten in over their heads so the soldiers arrive she finds out they were just on a routine exercise and she says so this wasn't a rescue mission so it's implied that she was waiting to be rescued right yeah and then it's revealed that she was a werewolf expert that was secured Conded to Captain Ryan's special ops team on their first visit to investigate the werewolves. And they just raise this plot point and drop it immediately. They establish that she's got some connection to Captain Ryan. They've met before. She's actually part of this special ops unit who've come to capture a werewolf. And they mention it and then drop it just completely (laughs) never never raised again do you know what they also raise and drop as a plot point is that the british army are trying to weaponize werewolves don't even get me started it's just (laughs) it's so ludicrous but like basically none of this makes sense It, it absolutely doesn't make sense the twist that she's a werewolf doesn't make sense and it all leads up to this final interaction that she has with Coop where it reveals <laughs> the film reveals she's a traitor and she's actually on the side of the werewolves so basically I'm going to just quote it because it's the only way I can get through it basically and explain it so her final interaction with Coop she says Megan says I'm sorry, when I found out you were out there tonight, I truly believed you were the best chance I had of getting out. But now we have no chance. There is no out. There never was. I came here to be at one with nature, and I got what I wanted. Now I have to live with it. And then it basically, uh, Cooper's realising that she's basically been betraying them the whole time. And Mm. Megan says, I never meant to. And then Cooper interrupts her by saying, you women, same old shit. And then, yeah, bloody women, always betraying the lads to be eaten by fantasy nocturnal creatures, am I right? And so, and then Megan says the most bizarre line. She says, being nice to women will get you nowhere, Cooper. Being nice to me will get you killed. You may think they're all bitches, but I'm the real thing. And then she starts to transform and she says, do you think I like being part of this fucked up family? You think I chose to run with the pack? No, I chose you. But now you're out of luck and I'm out of time. And all we can do is let nature take its course. They were always here. I just unlocked the door. It's that time of the month. And it's just like, it's (laughs) just like... The whole twist is totally nonsensical waffle that is just used to justify this weird sexist narrative about women can't be trusted. And it feels like they basically just abandoned 
any logic concerning her character whatsoever. Why bother actually putting any effort in? She's a woman. Of course she can't be trusted. Just call her a bitch and shoot her in the head and be done with it. It's much simpler. <laughs> like, you know, it just really frustrated me. Not just because it was just stupid and sexist, but also just because it made no sense. And if I'm honest, I was actually kind of enjoying the movie up to that point, And that just put such a sour taste in my mouth for the rest of it. It was really, really awful. Yeah, it was sort of like, why can't it just be soldiers in a house fighting werewolves? And that's the story. Yeah. Why try and shoehorn in these strange nonsensical plot points based around Megan but the one I alluded to earlier where Captain Ryan who who again ends up turning into a werewolf because he gets infected as well but he's there to hunt werewolves for the British army in order to sort of capture them and use them in conflict yeah yeah and like he says that but there's n- it's never explored any further than those throwaway lines of dialogue and I was just thinking at that point it's sort of the same as you I was just like for fuck's sake just go back to what you're good at movie and just show us soldiers fighting werewolves like it's fun it's interesting it's action-packed it's visceral i don't need any of these like half-hearted lame excuses for it to happen just let it happen yeah like evil dead for example is just teenagers go to a cabin and then demons kill them for two hours Mm. like that is fine and i don't need any other justification for it it just is what it's it's what's happening it does exactly what it says on the tin yeah whereas this film for some reason decides that it needs more justification than that yeah I think we can more or less move on to talking about what we would change about the movie. So my changes are more or less based around the character of Megan. If they insist on the twist of her being a werewolf, just execute it in a more logical and less confusing way. It could have simply been, she's just a random passerby or someone who heard the gunfire from somewhere or whatever. Just a random passerby who encounters the soldiers and they just find the house and her purpose is that they've encountered her and she's got a car. Yeah. And she could still become a werewolf, but have it maybe just be a thing where she's fighting off the werewolves with them. She gets scratched or bitten and hides it from them because she's scared. Yeah, it's, it's your classic zombie narrative. Yeah, exactly. And it's simple, but it's effective. And it could be this dilemma that she's having where she genuinely likes these guys. The dilemma is not that she likes the soldiers and she likes the werewolves. The dilemma is that she likes the soldiers and she has an instinct for self-preservation. And then she pushes that a little bit too far and she ends up transforming into a werewolf. And you have a moment of conflict where this character who they've genuinely been bonding with, who they've uh, been connected with and who's been helping them transforms into a werewolf and they have to kill her you know yeah it would just be so much simpler and you do away with the idea that she's part of this family you do away with any connection that she has to these werewolves whatsoever and you do away with all the misogynistic nonsense that happens at the end and that would be my main change to the movie everything else what's and all whatever it's fine like you know it's a schlocky trashy horror movie but that is the one thing that i would change really see i would i would just bin the character completely i'd probably get rid of as well get rid of captain ryan get rid of megan streamline it all down and what i might do what i might consider is instead of having the character of megan be the one that helps them maybe the soldiers end up having to come to terms with the fact that they're fighting something beyond their control Mm. like make these macho blokes realize that just their brute force and like rude jokes and football references are not going to get them to defeat this enemy Mm. so they have to work with someone unconventional so maybe they go into the woods and they find a group of civilians who are like almost like werewolf hunters sort of like van helsing type characters for werewolves that that are like specialist werewolf hunters and that then the army blokes have to come to terms with the fact that they can't just be pricks. They actually have to work with these people who know better than they do. Yeah. Ham up the whole mythology thing and have these werewolf hunters that know exactly what they're doing. Maybe they have like three silver bullets that they have to pick and choose when to use mm. and stuff like that. And you can make these werewolf hunters be like, you know, your archetypal geek characters mm. who have no combat prowess whatsoever, but just have smarts and intelligence and know the weaknesses. So then the, the soldier 
soldiers who are horribly sort of misogynistic and full of bravado actually have to stop being like that in order to overcome this threat. I, I agree. I think that's a really nice interpretation and a nice way to change the movie. Uh, but I would actually go one step further and say rather than doing away with Megan's character, because I mean, Christ, if the movie isn't already totally not diverse in its casting, I, w- <laughs> I would say don't get rid of a character, but following on from your idea, have a similar character or maybe even the same character because she is essentially a werewolf expert. Just have her be part of that Van Helsing troop of werewolf hunters, you know, yeah. and maybe even make it a more that group of werewolf hunters. Maybe there's like three or four of them. Have it be a more diverse group of people and maybe make it majority female like you know yeah there's plenty you can do with this concept but either way a lot of the changes do revolve around that character well either way for me it's less bullshit exposition pointless narrative plot holes more fighting werewolves in a farmhouse you know play to the strengths that you've got Mm. just do more fights more funny lines of dialogue and just get rid of all the pointless trash yeah basically and less sexism (laughs) (laughs) well yeah that that comes under the heading for me of pointless trash yeah please movie less sexism (laughs) because it was those moments that made me really feel like this is the sort of movie that would be given away for free with the sun like you know (laughs) it's just like it it really disappointed me actually um (laughs) it's just yeah um and yeah actually this just sums up the movie's attitude to a t it's like spoon's biggest fear is castration yeah joe and Terry's biggest fears are penalty shootouts, and Coop's biggest fear is women. Yeah, and spider. Well, and spiders. Yeah, and spider women. Yeah, Jesus Christ. But um, I think we've done it. I think we've reshaped the movie. We have. But with that all said and done, Ollie, the final question is: Do you <laughs> think you need rose-tinted specs to appreciate this movie, or do you think it holds up on its own merit? Um, I don't think you do need nostalgia mm. for this film. Um, I think there's definitely enough good stuff in here to appreciate it in a modern context as a as an adult. I think that you read the film very differently as an adult. Mm. Like I, f- I felt it was very scary and frightening when I was a kid, but now I look back on it and it's far more of a sort of a dark comedy with elements of satire mm. in it and, and intertextual references to other horror films. And I think you can get a, a, almost like a newfound appreciation for the movie from having that adult perspective. Mm. You notice the low budget more and the poor acting and some of the dodgy uh, cinematography choices, but on the whole, I think it's enjoyable. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think that it relies too heavily on nostalgia. Yeah, I I would agree. It's a bit of a mixed bag for me. I think a lot of the things that you mentioned that don't hold up as well, like the acting, the special effects, that's sort of the kind of stuff that adds to a char- the charm of a movie like this. Yeah. I think, because um, you look at any classic slasher movie from the 80s, the acting is all terrible and the effects are all shaky at best, but that's what makes them fun. So I think in terms of a movie where if you want to just get a bucket of popcorn and watch a stupid horror movie with entertaining gore and have a laugh with your mates this movie still holds up in that sense you know i think it's entertaining enough and you can have a good time watching this movie what does not hold up at all is its attitude to women and uh, the sexism in the script and that really did almost ruin it for me and so i don't yeah i don't think you need rose tinted specs to enjoy it but i do think you need a big pinch of salt Absolutely. you know if you were looking back on this movie you would need a 2002 perspective to not let that stuff bother you i think yeah but yeah so you don't need rose tinted specs but you do need a grain of salt i would say isn't there something called rose or like red salt yeah there's rose salt you don't need rose tinted glasses you need rose tinted salt that's brilliant that's brilliant really good (laughs) note to end on i think um but yeah i guess that just about does it as always i'd really like to thank dilettante for letting us use their song my dress as our theme tune Uh, But in the meantime, I have been Paddy. And I've been Ollie. And we have been Rose Tinted. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you all next time.